The famous saying that by now, I'm guessing most people have heard is the Mark Andreessen quote about software is eating the world. Every single company that private equity owns today is run on software. Every company that anybody owns today is run on software. It had to be 10 years ago now. I was sitting in front of finance students at this, this financial services firm I was at and telling them in 10 years, the, the technology people are going to be paid like you're getting paid right now. The technology army has arrived. People are starting to see the value. These are becoming the most valued people in an organization. Whether you're integrating off-the-shelf software or you're building your own, huge impact to the organization, whether it's attracting new customers, whether it's retaining customers that you already have, or whether it's improving the operational efficiency of your organization. Well, hey, welcome back to Cloud Talk. I'm your host, Jeff Deverter. Now, before we get started, I'm excited to announce that we've hit quite a milestone here at the program. This episode marks our 51st episode that we've released in the past year. And with the exception of a few holidays, we've brought you a new episode every week. Thank you so much for being a part of this journey. We're over halfway to 100. Now, in today's episode, I'm joined by Alex Agrin. Now, he is with a company called Endurance Direct. But he and I first met when I was a guest on his podcast back in February, uh, which is all about the technology of private equity. In that episode, we talked about how private equity companies can save a ton of money, or better yet, maximize their investment when moving to the cloud. But today, we talk more about the power a company realizes as they go through true digital transformation. But before I give too much away, let's get into today's episode. Now, don't forget to hang around after the interview. I've got some info that I'm saving for the end line between application and infrastructure is virtually invisible in these modern apps. The kind of thing that a global computing fabric with immense resilience and scale can deliver without even breaking a sweat. That's really what the promise of the cloud's always been. It's all focused on the business objectives. That's where we craft the plan. In the tech world, we like to celebrate the lone genius, but I'm just going to tell you right now, they're just the convenient face as founders to focus on. Welcome to Cloud Talk. Here's your host, Jeff Deverter. Now, when I was on Alex's podcast back in February, it was really interesting to watch his expression change through the course of that interview from interested and inquisitive to, well, really quite introspective as the enormity of the power of true transformation of the cloud really started to strike him. So I thought we would pick up today with him really talking us through what he was experiencing in that conversation. Action, just, just spurring me into action. It was, it was like a uh, therapy session is how I, I describe it. And I think, I, I think when I, in that particular conversation, we were talking about the, the value of what, uh, private equity firms being able to go out to the big cloud providers and, and make uh, meaningful uh, agreements with those big cloud providers across portfolio companies. And that was what uh, what got me all fired up for sure. Cause there's lots of money to be saved doing that. There's so much to be saved. You know, everybody goes, you hear the, the buzzwords of, of going to cloud and there's great value in it, but you know, how you manage that spend and how you, um, how you adopt the technology, manage the spend, forecast the spend and really get a balance between the value that you get, where you're turning things off, where you're, where you're getting new capability. It's, um, it's a whole, whole 
whole art uh, that we get to help customers with over here. And it was, it was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Yep. Well, well tell me about, uh, tell everybody about, you know, who you are, what you do, uh, your role in the company, and a little bit about your, your podcast as well. Yeah, sure. Well, thanks for having me on. Uh, name is Alex Agron. I'm the CIO at Endurance Warranty Services. We are a, uh, let's say, Chicago-based uh, provider of vehicle services contracts. I've been at Endurance almost three years now. Okay. Came here to really, what I say is institutionalize the platform. I think the industry term was like digital transformation. Um, but I'm a software developer by background. Okay. I spent my life building enterprise software and have a real passion for the change that can be brought to an organization by building software, integrating software. And, and especially in the private equity world, you alluded to the podcast. I started a podcast four years ago yeah. when I was at the last place I was at. We were a consultancy and we were building big enterprise software solutions for on behalf of private equity firms for their portfolio companies. Okay. And at the time, you could, four years ago, the private equity world wasn't as, as focused on technology and, and the value that technology could bring to their investments huh. as I think they are today when we fast forward. I think people generally get today that value, um, but at that time, it, it wasn't apparent. And, and you, you had to have long drawn out conversations of why you should spend more on technology, find those high impact, high ROI type projects in the organization. Because when you go to sell, Proprietary software is very attractive, and those things return multiples on on the investment. Right. Um, so that's that's why I started the podcast was to teach private equity uh, people in the private equity world more about the technology that's running their portfolio companies, the decisions that they're being faced with or they're hearing about. When someone says, "I need to spend two million dollars here, a million dollars here, or half a million dollars, whatever it is," right. the more you understand about that technology, uh, the better off I think your investments will be. And that's the the nature of the podcast. And we talked about some of that that expenditure when when you were on the, you were on my podcast. Yeah. It was just you get into that cloud world. All of a sudden, you see the spend going up. And how do you how do you deal with that? So right. Well, I think it's really interesting your point that you make that that back four years ago, of course, it spurred you into action to create your podcast. But that that private equity, and I would say business at large, but let's keep it focused in private equity, didn't see IT or technology at large as a true differentiator in most cases, I would imagine there's a, you know, a few acquisitions that you know, maybe they're software based, but by and large, IT is a, a cost of doing business in their mind. Yeah. And you do have to kind of escape out software companies because people that are investing in software companies understand the value that those companies bring and provide and all that. We really focus on that non software sectors, if you will. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the famous saying that by now, I'm guessing most people have heard is the Mark Andreessen quote about software is eating the world, right? Yeah. Every single company that private equity owns today is run on software. Every company that right. anybody owns today is run on software. Uh, I remember it had to be 10 years ago now, I sitting in front of finance students at this, this financial services firm I was at and telling them, I'm telling you, in 10 years, the, the technology people are going to be paid like you're getting paid right now. Really? And, and it's, it's, it's coming. The army has, a, the, the technology uh, army has arrived. People are starting to see the value. These are the most, these are becoming the most valued people in an organization because whether you're integrating off the shelf software or you're building your own, uh, huge 
impact to the organization, whether it's attracting new customers, whether it's retaining customers that you already have, or whether it's improving the operational efficiency of your organization. There is a lot to be gained with modern technology. And still in the world of private equity, uh, there's, there are gaps in, in a lot of companies where we're not making best use, where maybe the, the principals don't quite understand They've, they've spent a bunch of money and they don't know what they've been spending it on. So the, the, having a proper view of what's possible technologically can provide so much upside. It's an additional lever to pull in, in, in a private equity investment. And really wanting to turn private equity's focus into to know like that lever is available. Yeah, It's there for you. And, and if, if you're paying more than you were paying years ago, like multiples are, are super high. How do you how do you extract the the value uh, on your investment? Well, you do the the traditional playbook, but guess what? There's this technology lever that I think is there now for the pulling, and you got you need to know how to pull it the right way. It's really interesting because you know when you think about a company going into private equity, and just you know for those in 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 my podcast world who aren't overly familiar with that process, I mean effectively, I mean literally, you're selling the company to a company that you know groups up different types of, of corporate investments and finds ways to operationalize them better, to uh, to introduce them to new markets, to slice some companies up and join them with others to create greater value. I mean, they're looking at these acquisitions and they're looking at all aspects of it and they've got to consider, they've got to consider, you know, how does this impact the investment? And, you know, to, to kind of surmise what you're saying back, you know, 10 or even four years ago, private equity looked at IT as the same way they might look at facilities. Okay, what's the expense line here? How can we make it more optimal and, and move on? And quite frankly, if we take it outside of outside of private equity, that's really the opinion most enterprises had of, in, of IT. You know, how much do I spend on my data center? How much do I spend, you know, with Dell or HPE and, and my network throughput? And uh, and it's the, that necessary, I hate to say it, I was involved in IT at the time, this necessary evil to make the business run forward. But now it's become the shining star because especially, I mean, your points are so valid. 10 years ago, I mean, you were super smart at recognizing it. And then, of course, four years ago, as you're in consulting and helping companies, helping um, private equity to understand this, but that IT isn't this, this boat anchor that you have to have. It is this propellant. It's this accelerant. And I would say at no time more than in this past year with the pandemic, where every company, even the most non-digital company, and it always takes me to even smaller, like local restaurants, for instance, had to become a digital company in order to become integrated with DoorDash and the, and the others just to stay alive so that they could take orders and deliver them. Uh, to, to potential customers. So, um, you know, as you, as you think about companies today, let's, well, maybe you, I'll, I'll put it to you. I'm not going to give you boundaries. These companies that are considering going into private equity or looking at that as the next evolution of who they are, you know, what are, what are, what is private equity considering when they are looking at a company and considering their IT? You can take it from anywhere you want. 10 years ago, four years ago, today, you know, take us through it. Yeah. I- I haven't been on this side of private equity. Like I haven't been in a private equity firm, so I can't tell you exactly how they evaluate uh, the amount of money that that they're going to spend on technology. Or I can't. I can't give you the, the I can't give it to you from their right. their insight. What I can tell you 
is that more and more, and, and thankfully, and this is the way it should be, but more and more private equity firms are starting to, to get it. Four mm. years ago, I think that most technology due diligence, as it's called, so when you're, if you're in an acquisition uh, scenario, uh, there's there's financial due diligence that's done. There's operational due diligence, right? These are people that come in and really, uh, really digging in and looking at your company at these in these uh, from from these certain vantage points, from a financial standpoint, from an operational standpoint, and they do it from the technology side as well. Mm. Four years ago, that for for a lot of the industry, it seemed to me like that was a check the box activity on the technology side. Yeah. There was a, a checklist of things that someone might walk in. Uh, you might hire a, a, an accounting firm to come in and because they were doing your accounting diligence, they might also do your technology diligence because they have some sort of uh, group that does that, right? Yeah. The, it was a check the box activity. As long as everything checked out technologically, uh, the investment was good. But now it's, it's a different... The end, it's going in a different way. Technology due diligence, as it should, mm-hmm. is becoming... Um, less of a check the box and more of a needing to understand what they're getting themselves into yeah. because you you do need to understand what is the technology that's running that platform that's being acquired today uh, what what where am I going to need to spend uh, and and it, there's two sides to it one where am I going to need to spend to just keep the 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 wheels going yeah. but then what are opportunistically the places I can spend to really jazz what's going on at this company you're going to get looked at from that perspective and if they have the right technological partners whether it's internally at the private equity firm but most of the time on the technology side i found it's coming from a third-party technology due diligence firm that's going to come in and really kick the tires that's where they're going to be focused and and that's where uh, as a technology leader you you need to kind of prepare yourself. It's you got to be able to check the box and all the, the the things that your your security's tight and your data's tight and and the applications are doing what they're they're supposed to be doing. But then there's what's the roadmap look like? Where yeah. are they going to have to spend the money? Because anybody that's going to get in this investment is going to need to know. You, most companies today you see a big big line item for technology spend, right? Way bigger than you're probably used to in the past. Where's that growing to? To support, as we know, when somebody buys your company. Uh, the next five years, three years, five years, seven years, there needs to be growth yeah. uh, in order to realize a, a return on that investment from the, the person acquiring, the, the group acquiring your company. Uh, what's going to need to be spent on the technology side for that? That's what people are going to want to understand. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. And it's, it's interesting also when you think about, you know, private equity that builds a portfolio of, of different companies. And, and one of the things that I've seen over the past, you know, three to five years is how um, how portfolios are bringing in companies that can synergistically empower the rest of the portfolio. You see this in certain service-oriented things, like bringing in um, a, a payroll a company or service that does that in, in order to make that more, make all the rest of the portfolio be more efficient, as well as getting the value out of the, the organization itself. And you see it in technology companies too. I mean, you can take Rackspace for for example. I mean, we are a, we are held by Apollo Private Equity, and it is in Apollo's best interest to make us, of course, as efficient and as pro- and as profitable as possible, um, but also to introduce us to the rest of their portfolio companies because the value that we bring could have value 
to those other organizations. You see that in other portfolio holdings like um, Blackstone. They have CloudReach, which they do a great job of making sure the rest of their portfolio understands the value that CloudReach brings to to the table. So I think it's also interesting how private equity looks at technology and the value that it can bring to the rest of the portfolio. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it also makes me think about um, when we think about uh, as companies progress and they become more technology companies or recognize the fact that we're all already technology companies and it's what powers everything in this digital economy. Again, as I mentioned, no more true than after this past year of everybody going and working from home. But, um, But it makes me think about you know, how, how, and you maybe you can give some examples in, in uh, your own uh, case, but how to, you know, how do you talk to, to leadership? How do you talk to that C-suite about the opportunities that uh, in turn their mindset from IT as, as a, an expenditure to IT as an opportunity? I, I think I would answer that like I would if you asked me how, how I prove to anybody anything. Mm-hmm. It's, it's by executing. Uh, and it's really no different here. Where, where I, I'll give the example of where I'm at now. When I came in, I think that there was a um, a decent amount of money being spent. There was good work being done to kind of get out to the business the reporting that needed to be done, and but it wasn't a holistic synergistic strategy. And it wasn't well communicated out where the successes were, where the failures were. And and, and from a private equity standpoint, it looks like you're spending N million dollars a year on an IT org and you're not seeing the benefit coming out of it that you thought you would. Right. Right. When you come in, the expectation, I imagine if you ask the private equity firm would be, Show me, show me some value for my spend. Show me something for the money I'm pumping in. Right. And I think that's a fair thing to do, sure. right? If you walk in and you see the spend and you say, okay, I can work with that. It's then to go and, and identify those high impact projects that are just sitting there that, that didn't get done. Maybe someone didn't see them, maybe they didn't have time, whatever. But you're, you, you identify those high impact ones and little by little, you prove, you execute mm-hmm. and, and you show and the value of the organization comes out through the work that you do and you, you build yourself this, this reputation for, oh, okay, I, I see why, where that $200,000 went. I see where that $500,000 went. I, see, I can see the value because I'm hearing it from the CFO and the CMO and the CEO. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, when the next big project comes, the, the, it's not. It's no longer a needing to prove out completely why you need the money. That you still need to show if you're asking for more resources or whatever. You still need to sh- to demonstrate the why. But, you, but you've now trust in the bank. proven. Yeah, yeah, and that that to me is the the name of the game. If you if you need to to justify spend in IT, you need to prove by executing impactful projects that that 
drive revenue or cost savings at the organization. Well, that's one of the things I love about all, and I mean, you're not ever supposed to use none or alls, but I'm going to use an all. All great technology conversations come back to core leadership principles. You need to be able to effectively communicate the opportunity or the challenge. You need to effectively communicate how you will solve that. You need to build consensus for that solution. You need to execute well against it. And then you need to go back and communicate that you what what the results of that were. I said we were going to go, here's this hill we're going to go take. We take that hill and we're going to get this value. Now you go take the hill in the timeline or less that you said, and then you, you, you realize that value or hopefully, you know, you found a, a few other nuggets up there you can talk about. Yeah. I think in the private equity world too, these, these are folks that tend to live in and work in spreadsheets mm-hmm. and PowerPoint presentations. Yeah. They really do. And they're very financially driven in, in a lot of the decision-making. And I, I remember when we, we took our call it on-prem call center and moved that to the cloud, the we put together, it ended up being probably a 50 page deck outlining the opportunity, the cost savings and financially projecting out into the future. Here's, we're going to be spending this kind of money and here's all the cost savings we're going to recognize, right? When you do that and then you go and execute on it, uh, you've now, you have to answer the questions in the beginning to, to, to justify, but, but, but when you can put it into that into the world in which they operate mm. and, and you're not, you're, you're, you're not making up the numbers. They have to be realistic numbers. You put it into that world. It becomes clear to them about this isn't in the private equity world. It's very much like return on investment. Yeah. What's my return? Whether it's their investment in your company or it's their investment on, on moving a call center to the cloud. What's my return on investment? When am I going to get it back? And then what am I going to see throughout time? Uh, that's the way to to approach the the big decisions, and then from there, um, now I think you've built again. You go and you execute on that. You've built that trust, uh, and and it makes the next decisions. Uh, not that you don't want to provide the same sort of thoughtfulness and whatnot in in those decisions going forward, but you've earned yeah. that that trust. Right. Well, and again, back to leadership principles, speak the right language, speak the language of those that you're communicating to, be it up, be it, be it, be it up the chain or down the chain. And that, that kind of leads me towards you guys have had in your organization, some shift. And I think it, it outlines several things that we're talking about here, but especially the fact that every organization is, is now a digital organization or a software organization. You've got a new CEO and uh, we're not talking about somebody who's adept in, or, or has a background specifically in spreadsheets. Uh, you have a software developer as your yeah. new boss. Yeah, yeah. New, new boss joins the the guys that founded the company over the last couple of years. They've been running it forever, and they've been ready to to move on. And yeah, we 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 have a new CEO in place. Who he the, one of the first things we talked about was that he built some automotive industry software that still runs today. Wow. That was his first, his first job. And I, I joke now like the, the line from, uh, from, uh, that Tom Cruise movie. What's the, I'm going to blank on it right now. Oh, Jerry Maguire. Yeah. Sorry. From Jerry Maguire. You had me at hello. Right. Yeah. I, I say he had me at software developer, <laughs> right. I am, I am all in, but I'm looking forward to, to learning a ton from him, but the, to have, uh, the, the, I had a ton of support mm-hmm. in endurance uh, from the beginning. Needing to, we've proven as we've gone along, we've we've got, garnered more and more trust. Let's say, yeah. 
And now you've got somebody at the top of the company who under really, truly, like because it's his core, is coming. We'll, we'll talk about the value of technology and organization like you're hearing from me, the passion of what it can do for the organization he gets. Yeah. And that's a, uh, it's just, it, everybody's different. The, the, the guy that was there before, he, he wasn't a, he wasn't saying no to anything, yeah. but he, it, it, he wasn't thinking about, he wouldn't think about it maybe the same way that I would, or the new CEO would. Yeah. We just have different, it's a different mindset when you come from the background of building software. And that's when, when I continue to think of, I, I have discussion on my podcast a lot, which is that just how does private equity begin to pull into its organizations? Call it ex-software developers, mm-hmm. ex-technologists, whether it's in, in at portfolio companies running the, 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 the departments like I'm doing, yeah. whether it's a chief operating officer, whether it's a CEO, whether it's some other place in the organization, whether it's in their private equity company, helping as an analyst as they're acquiring companies. The more they pull in technologists into the mix and, and putting specifically software developers, I, I, do, I do highlight that because mm-hmm. I think it's very important. Just when, when you've been a software developer, you, you've written the code, you understand what's possible more than someone that hasn't done it before. It doesn't make you smarter than someone. It doesn't make you a better CEO than someone. It doesn't make you a better CIO than someone. But having that background, right. uh, if you have the other tools that fit those molds, is a huge advantage in today's world in running a business. You just understand the possibilities more. You understand what's what's available. Uh, and, uh, and so, yeah, that's that's... The having a CEO, I'm excited to see uh, how how it all progresses. But but he had me at software development. <laughs> yeah, and I think you really called it out super well. And that's because you you're able to see the possibilities. I call it the art of the possible. But what it what it really means if we click in another another layer, I think it means that that they ask different questions. I don't want to say better questions or more questions because they know because of what's possible, they're going to ask those additional questions, you know, in, in your world, does that mean you can partner with somebody else in a faster, quicker way that they will be quicker off the, uh, off the lips with, with an idea because they know it may, you know, the, the power of having APIs between organizations to be able to pass data quicker. I'm just grabbing an example off the top of my head, but that's not the kind of conversation that you would necessarily expect to have with a more traditional uh, CEO or CFO. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think uh, when you look around the organization at, at maybe higher impact ways that you can affect the organization that might cost more money, but when you come from building software and you understand kind of, you, you know, about what it's going to take, cause you've done something similar, you, you know, about what it's going to take, how much it's going to cost. And you know what that return on the investment is going to look like because you've, you've lived it before uh, you, you've been a part of it before. It's a, it's an easier decision to make than not saying that uh, another CEO wouldn't make the decision, mm-hmm. but it's easier to make when you've had the experience and you understand the risks and, and you've been through it before. And we've done a bunch of corporate uh, of our own uh, research here at Rackspace as we've gone out uh, into the market. We, every quarter we go out and we survey about 
about 1,500 different employers or different individuals or in 10 different countries, just around all sorts of different topics. We're in the middle of one now, the future of compute. We've just did one on, on AI and machine learning, just to understand where the market is and where people are progressing. And, um, and what that, what that tells me, what I, what I like to think about there is it, is it just informs um, and understanding what we found is that a lot of CEOs or the C-suite can tend to be the blockers when attempting to undergo some aspect of aspect of digital transformation. Um, again, it's a it's a tired phrase, but it but it's appropriate in this context. And uh, and when you've got somebody at the top who speaks the right language, well, then it makes that go hopefully just a little bit faster. And uh, and so the, the value then becoming you have to spend less translation time or time building consensus. And hopefully it means you can get to work quicker. Now, I want to pivot, though, real quick. And uh, because one of the things that can be frustrating to organizations, especially ones that maybe don't have thousands of thousands of employees that, that work for them, is to recognize the success that they're making over time. Because you've made the point. You make a pitch, we see an opportunity, devise a plan, you make a pitch, execute and communicate, build trust that you can actually have a vision, complete the vision and do what you said you're going to do. And, and we keep going back to one of the big values is you're going to build trust with your leadership that they're going to let you, you know, do this again in the future. But there are other areas, your department size increases over time. And that's actually one of those areas that's huge because a company that's going to invest a couple hundred thousand dollars in a project can be a one-time expense. That software can be capitalized. There are other ways to treat that financially. When you're trusted with another FTE, a full-time equivalent to work on your team, that's a big uh, marker of trust that that your team is doing good for the company. And you've seen that in your organization. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's been, I go back to what I was describing earlier. As we've found success, uh, the business has said, okay, we've got this we need to do and this we need to do and this we need to do. And I said, okay, I need more people for that. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Absolutely. It's a, to, to be able to open up the the spend to additional FTEs, as you said, is a, a great sign of trust. Well, it's one of my favorite things too. You see it in individual projects. Like I love it in a data project when you've convinced that, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna well deal with this data. We're gonna create some um, dashboards around it, some um, some statistical outputs, maybe even some machine learning. And now we pull that out and you give it back to the business and you say, you wanted to answer these five questions. Well, here, we've answered these five questions from your data. And then they'll look at you and they'll get a sparkle in their eye and they'll go, but can you now answer these questions? And now you're in this relationship of, of data engineering to incrementally provide value through, through data, data operations to be able to allow them to make better business decisions quicker. Your example with your team is you've gone and you've succeeded. And now leadership says, oh, now we want to do these projects. They're coming to you with, with things they want to have done. Is That's a huge sign of success. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I think it goes back again to uh, when, you, when you show people, especially when you have a, a private equity owner, let's say, and there's a focus on, on all the dollars that are being spent. And I'm sure that's at a non-private equity backed firm as well. And you see a technology line on them and you say, okay, what did I just get for it? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's like marketing. Yeah. I spent a million dollars on marketing and here is my return. Oh, well, what if I spent a million one on marketing? Would, 
Exactly. I'm not going to get that yes. kind of return. And it's the same kind of thing going on in technology, right? I spent a million dollars on technology. Oh, that is wonderful. I mean, we're seeing some great, okay, what if we spent 1.1 million on technology? What would happen then? And, and, and so on it goes. Well, isn't that, you know, also part of that, the tech leader needs to have that plan in their, in place. If they know they're being successful, you know, that if, if you have a smart leader, they're going to come knock on your virtual door and say, you, you did good with this million. What if we doubled it? What would you do with it? Yeah. What would you do yeah. with it? Yeah. Kind yeah. of a plan for that. Really fascinating. So Alex, um, where do people find your podcast? How do they learn more about you? Uh, I'm probably in all the same places that you are. Um, it's called the Private Equity Technology Podcast. Again, it's focused on, on trying to teach folks in and around the private equity world more about the technology running the, their investments, um, what's available to them. So it's in Apple and Google and all the places, wherever else, all the places, Spotify, everywhere. Awesome. Uh, and then I'm on LinkedIn at, uh, I think I'm at Alex Agron is probably because I was early in LinkedIn. I probably got that nice, clean at Alex Agron. There you go. There you you can find me there. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, Alex, thank you so much for being uh, on the podcast today, but I do want to ask you one more question. Uh, and that is of all the tech, whether it can impact your group or not, what gets you excited? Uh, you're a technologist. So what are you most excited about in technology today? I, I will say to you, and this is what I, I tell, I've told all my friends and family, if someone ever comes and says, I, I, I need to get a present for somebody and I want to spend a couple hundred dollars, what would you buy? I send them to the Oculus Rift. Uh-huh. I think that I, I, all the talk about virtual reality and you read it in magazines and and you kind of get a sense of where the world is going to go and you watch Ready Player One, yep. things like that. And then you put on an Oculus Rift. My mind was totally blown. Really? It is just as it's, it's undersold, I think. And as soon as I put on that Oculus Rift, it just all became clear to me that technologically we're going there and we might be in that Ready Player One state <laughs> in the not too distant future. Yep. But that is a an incredible technology. Virtual reality uh, is the Oculus Rift, uh, and I'm sure there's other platforms that people use. But that's the right. one we have at home and we play. And I'm not a gamer, never been. I'm kind of a weird. I'm I'm weird for the technology world, and that I don't play games. Yeah, uh, like like a lot of the the tech folk do. But that, that is you in incredible. Though, it's incredible. I gotta so. tell you, I've never put one on. But now I feel oh, like I'm missing out. Jeff, you're you're missing. You got to get one. Okay. All right. You got to get expense for the one. weekend. Use it for expense. It use it for the uh, some research, research and development. This has been Cloud Talk. You can find Cloud Talk wherever you find your favorite podcasts, and be sure to check out more content from Rackspace Solve at solve.rackspace.com. I'm really grateful for Alex being on the program this week. Now, I'm also grateful to Dell Technologies, who helps sponsor everything we do here at Solve. And one of the new things that we'll be doing this year is bringing back 
the Solve Conference. You see, on August 3rd and 4th, the Solve Conference is coming back. It'll be virtual. It's geared towards three different audiences. The CXO, or decision makers, it's geared towards technologists, and of course, those business people who are utilizing technology every single day. Now, next week, we'll be able to give you the sign-up form for that. But for now, just mark on your calendar. You're busy on August 3rd and 4th. All right. For all of us here at Cloud Talk, thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already subscribed, head on over to wherever you find podcasts and click the subscribe button. And if you're enjoying it, maybe one of those five-star reviews as well. And until next week, I'm Jeff DeVerter for Cloud Talk.